Good morning. Today is Sunday, January 16th, 2022. Before I begin, of course, I'm sure all of us were frightened and overwhelmed and then finally relieved at the events in Colleyville, Texas, yesterday and last night. Four members of the Beth Israel Synagogue were taken hostage. It lasted many, many hours until finally the experts of law enforcement were able to enter the synagogue. The uh, criminal, the terrorist, uh, is deceased and the four hostages are free and unharmed, physically unharmed. Someone shared with me the screenshot from the moment this happened. The service, it's a reformed temple, and the service was being live streamed. And uh, as you may know, it was being live streamed for about two hours into this, which means people who were part of that congregation watching at home were horrified, terrified, watching what was happening in their synagogue until finally the, the feed was, was cut. And um, of course, our prayers should not end for these individuals because while these four have been saved from physical harm, there is no question that they will be living with trauma, not only them, but their families, their community, and to a certain extent, all of us who are aware of this. Clearly, there are a lot of details that we do not yet know, and certainly we have already taken precautions and we will, like synagogues all over the world, we will be taking additional precautions based on what we learn from this. Uh, in many ways, this is particularly frightening because this community of Colleyville uh, is a uh, very pleasant residential upper middle class area with almost no crime, similar to some places where we live. And that if it could happen there, it could certainly happen anywhere. So we have to take very serious precautions and learn lessons of what will keep us safe. This morning, Rabbi Charlie Citron Walker this heroic rabbi, by all accounts, he is largely responsible. He's being credited by law, officiant, uh, law officials by, for uh, maintaining calm, making use of the security training that he received this past summer. And he wrote early this morning, I am thankful and filled for appreciation for all the vigils and prayers and love and support all the law enforcement and first responders who cared for us and all the security training that helped save us. I'm grateful for my family. I'm grateful for the CBI community, Beth Israel, the Jewish community, the human community. I am grateful that we made it out. I am grateful to be alive. The screenshot of what part of the service they were up to at the moment this occurred was the paragraph at the end of the Amidah. Elakai Nitzor Lashoni Meirad that we say at the end of every Amidah. 
and the line that was on the screen that was about to be said, but was not said because of the terrible interruption and the chaos that ensued after that, was the line of the Amidah that we say every day. And because that community did not have a chance to read this prayer, I think we all need to read it in their place. And we need to read it every day and to daven with seriousness and understanding of what we face in the world. The words of this line of the prayer are, we ask God, and all those who are thinking to do evil to me, quickly God, ruin their plans, and confound their thoughts. For all those thinking to do evil to me, quickly ruin their plans and confound our thoughts. We ask this of Hashem to protect us at all times. I am sure there will be a lot more information coming out that will be very important for us to learn and to understand going forward. This week's Torah portion is the Parsha of Yisro. The central narrative of this Parsha is Aseris Adibros. God reveals himself at Mount Sinai and speaks to the Jewish people, the Aseris Adibros, the Ten Commandments. And this revelation at Sinai stands for all time as the greatest and closest revelation of God to the entire Jewish people that has ever happened and will ever happen. As you know, every Shabbos, we select a Haftorah, a passage from one of the prophets that connects thematically to the subject matter of the Parsha. And the Haftorah for this Shabbos is a Haftorah, a passage from the beginning of the prophetic work of Yeshayahu, Isaiah, Yeshayahu Anava, the prophet Isaiah. Bishnas Mos HaMelech Uziyahu, the Ere Es Hashem Yoshev Al Kisei Rom Venisa. At the beginning, I'm sorry, in the year that the king Uziah died, I Yeshayahu, Isaiah, I saw a vision of God sitting on a high and lofty throne. <clears throat> and I saw the angels that were standing around him. Vakara Zel Zevamar, and one angel called to the other, Kadosh, Kadosh. Kadosh Hashem Tzvakos Melo Kol Haaretz Kuo Melo Haaretz Kvodo. This is the line that we quote from the Kedusha. This is where it comes from the beginning of Yeshayo. That the angels called to one another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the God of hosts. His presence fills the entire world. His glory fills the entire world. There is an imminence to God. God is not removed from us. God is present, close, near. And clearly this Haftorah is chosen because 
although it's on a lower level of prophecy, it was a gilui shechina. It was God revealing himself to Isaiah, just as God had revealed himself to the entire Jewish people. That's the thematic connection to our Parsha. This was the first prophecy that was prophesied by Yeshayahu Hanavi, by Isaiah. Omar and he said, I mean, I'm sure any of us would be completely overwhelmed and 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 uh, understandably under overwhelmed by an experience of prophecy where God speaks to us. Va'amar and Isaiah said, Oily, woe is to me, Kidin Macy. Woe is to me because I am ruined. Having seen God, but I'm just a human being. I am a man, a human being, imperfect, with unclean lips. How is it possible that I will be able to communicate the word of God as, a, as an imperfect human being? That's his first reaction to his first prophecy. I am unworthy. And I am in the midst of a people who is also unworthy. The Jewish people of my time, he says, also have unclean, impure lips. And they are also unworthy of hearing this message. Our sages tell us that with those words, Yeshayahu Hanavi, Isaiah the prophet, committed a sin. It's one thing for him to belittle himself, to say that he is not worthy to hear these words. But to belittle Israel, to speak lowly about the Jewish people, that was a sin. It was a sin for which he had to repent and it was a sin for which God forgave him. Two verses later, Vayaga alpi, and an angel flew to me and touched a burning coal to my mouth. Vayomer, and God said, Hine avonecha. This will purify your lips and it will also bring about atonement for your sin of speaking negatively about the Jewish people, of saying Lashon Hara. V'chatoscha tukupar. Your sin, due to your repentance, will be forgiven. And Yeshayahu Anavi goes on to become, as we all know, one of our greatest prophets. But his first prophecy involved committing a sin, making a mistake. And I think there are three very important lessons that we need to learn. The first lesson is a lesson that this also thematically connects to the revelation at Sinai, because there too, on a different level, but when God himself will command the Jewish people, 
very soon God will see that the Jewish people are not always able to keep up with what God has commanded. And we will make mistakes. And God will have to grant us, as a result of the golden calf, the Egel Azov, a process for teshuva, for repentance, for being able to, to overcome mistakes that we made. And that's the same process we see by the opening of God's revelation to Isaiah. That we are not perfect and we make mistakes and we've got to be able to have a way to overcome those mistakes through the process of teshuva. That's number one. Number two, the lesson we learn from this is that even our greatest make mistakes. Yeshayahu Hanavi, the one who gave and gives so much comfort to the Jewish people through his beautiful poetry, through his insightful prophecies. Nachamu, Nachamu Ami, my people, my people, you will be con con consoled. All of the beautiful prophecies that we have with Yeshayahu Hanavi, but he was not perfect. He too made mistakes. Our greatest made mistakes. The secret, of course, is to recover from those mistakes. To find ways to come back. To be able to be important and significant after, not only after, but as a result of those mistakes. You'll excuse me for a kind of a sacrilegious uh, comparison. But Michael Jordan was always a hero of mine when I was following basketball. The artistry, certainly one of the greatest basketball players of all time. The Moshe Rabbeinu of basketball. Michael Jordan famously said, I've missed more than 9,000 shots in my career. I've lost almost 300 games. 26 times I've been trusted to take the game-winning shot and missed. I've failed over and over and over again in my life. And that is why I succeed. One last lesson. Allow me to share with you a story. This is a true story. It was told by Malcolm Forbes. And the story is like this. Many, many years ago, there was an older lady in a faded, impoverished-looking homemade dress. And her husband, an elderly man, wearing a suit that clearly had seen better days. And they got off the train in Boston and they walked timidly to an appointment at Harvard University's president to his office. The secretary of Harvard University's president, he was a very important man, a very busy man, as you can imagine. And she could tell that these poor people, they've got no business being here. 
And she frowned at them and they said, we're here to see the president. And the secretary said, sorry, he's busy all day. He can't see. So the lady replied, we'll wait. And they sat down quietly. Hours passed by. Secretary wanted to ignore him, hoping that they would just finally get discouraged and walk away, but they didn't. And then the secretary became frustrated because she, to be perfectly honest, didn't like poor looking people sitting in this very important office waiting room. Important people come there. And she went in to tell the president, you know, there's the people, this couple, they're out of place. They clearly don't belong here, but they're making me nervous. And it looks bad to the other people who are coming. Maybe if you just speak to them for three minutes and get rid of them, they'll go away. He was exasperated by having to interrupt his important schedule to do this. But he said, let them in. He did not meet with such ordinary people, but he let them in. So secretary shows them into the office. It is a magnificent, gigantic office. And the president is standing behind his desk with a very arrogant look, looking down not only physically, but also figuratively at this old, poor looking couple. They sit down and the woman says to him, we had a son who attended Harvard for a year. He loved Harvard and he was happy here. But about a year ago, he was in an accident and he was killed. And my husband and I would like to erect an a memorial to him somewhere on campus. The president was not moved by this. He was actually shocked. He said, Madam, in a very not nice way, he said, we can't put up a statue for every person who attends Harvard and dies. This place would look like a cemetery. And the woman said, oh no, we didn't want to erect a statue. We thought we would like to give a building to Harvard. And the president rolled his eyes <laughs> and says, do you have any idea what a building at Harvard costs? Obviously, you have no, no idea of what you're talking about. Our buildings, every one of them are millions and millions of dollars, billions of up, up infrastructure that we have here. You just, you have no conception of what you're even thinking about. And for a moment, the lady was quiet and the president of Harvard was pleased because now he realized he'd be able to get rid of them. And then the lady turned to her husband and said quietly, is that all it costs to start a university? Why don't we just start our own? And her husband nodded. The president's face was bewildered. 
and Mr. and Mrs. Leland Stanford walked away, traveled to Palo Alto, California, where they established the university that bears their name, a memorial to a son that Harvard no longer cared about, Stanford University. That's a true story. And the third lesson to learn from the prophet Yeshayahu in this week's Torah portion, it's very easy to misjudge others by looking superficially at them. Yeshayahu made the same mistake, but in fact, the people were better than what he saw them to be. They were different than their appearance. And we dare not make that mistake. We should treat each person like a prince and a princess, first of all, because they are, they are a child of God. But we should never assume when we meet someone that our preconceived notions of who we think they are and of what they are capable is accurate based on our superficial view of them. Because people are very different than the way we see them the first time. And that's the lesson that Yeshayahu Hanavi learned at the very first prophecy he prophesied. My friends, I want to wish you a great day. And I look forward to seeing all of you soon in person.